but we knew that the presbytery plan was eventually to close that church and that we anything that we did as a worshiping community would then be based at the church hall so for us it was really important to base ourselves at the church hall and not where things were stopping but where things were going to be beginning we just took the chance to be out and about tidying up the garden painting the door painting the railings just doing all sorts of odd jobs to make the place look and feel a bit more welcoming than it had done. If you can imagine the church hall had barbed wire on the top of it, it had a padlock on the gate, it had a, a message on the wall saying um, no ball games, although it had a huge garden at the side of it. Um, it had anti-climb paint stickers everywhere. I mean, there was nothing more welcoming, really. <laughs> saying don't bother coming here. <laughs> so the, the fresh expression side of what Erica and I do in the hall is supported by presbytery and while the church was to close, the church hall is very much part of their presbytery plan. We're fortunate enough to be able to continue in, in the work that we're doing. Welcome to the Emerging Emmaus podcast. We've been inspired by that story of the journey to Emmaus, where we get to eavesdrop on the conversations, on the journey from disappointment, from grief, to an encounter with Jesus, an emerging hope and, and a new purpose. And it's been fantastic um, week by week to eavesdrop on some other conversations, conversations with people around the Church of Scotland involved in, in different situations in different ways. And uh, this week is going to be fantastic because we are joined by Sue McKenzie and Erica Pride, who are working in uh, Newton, south side of Edinburgh, where we'll hear more from them um, where it is and what they're up to. But like so much around the church, it's a situation of church closure, but also a time of, of green shoots, of new things happening, of of new communities emerging, of people encountering Jesus. So stick with us and uh, let's hear the story from Newton Fresh Expressions. Sue McKenzie and Erica Pride, would you uh, introduce yourselves? Just take a minute or two. Erica, why don't you go first? Okay, my name's Erica Pride. I'm originally from um, Hertfordshire in England. I moved to Scotland about 23 years ago and uh, for 20 years, I worked in local authority um, with one day latterly working in the Church of Scotland until the opportunity came to um, get involved in a project in Newton Parish, working two days a week, which is now three days a week, um, in the in Church of Scotland Fresh Expressions, working um, in the community, bringing Christ into the community, serving and loving people in the parish. Uh, and I'm Sue McKenzie, um, born and bred in East Lothian and uh, now living in Mid Lothian with my husband and two children. And uh, I was in I was in the education sector. I was a teacher for 16 years um, before joining more towards the church area. And I took on a role as a children and family worker within our local parish church. And then four years ago, the opportunity came up to, to join with Newton. And uh, yeah, I just carried on doing some outreach work with them at that point. So 
yeah, it's been a really exciting four years for us. Thank you. So could you kind of paint a picture for us of where we're talking about the place and and the people, the communities that are a, a part of that? So the the village that we're based in is um, a village called Dander Hall, which is a former mining community on um, the northern part of Midlothian, um, otherwise known to some people as the southern part of Edinburgh. But if you live in Dander Hall, you're very keen to let everybody know that you're not Edinburgh. You're very definitely part of Midlothian and you're very definitely part of a mining community and with a lot of history um, in that area. Um, the, the whole parish takes in a huge area which was all coal mines. At one time there were five coal mines and a lot of the people that live in the area have lived there with their families for 100 years. <laughs> you're not you're not local unless you've lived there for a hundred years I'm pretty certain that's the that's the new rule um but on top of that there's lots of open space or was lots of open space which was part of the mining area which is now being built on and as part of the development of the southeast wedge of Edinburgh which incorporates uh, Midlothian and we're having a community of over 4,000 houses being built uh, within the the boundary of the Edinburgh city bypass and uh, the large majority of that is within our parish um, and we are responsible for trying to reach out to all of those new houses and to to bring together the old mining communities the farming community that were there and the people that are moving into the new properties um, most of whom are incomers um, a variety of different faiths, um, different nationalities, as well as the the odd one or two that have moved out of the old mining community and into the new housing. So I hope that gives you wow. a picture of what it is. <laughs> it's a lot of social housing. Um, all, all of the mining communities were um, were social housing, um, some of which have been bought um, by their occupants, but there's still a lot of social housing in the old areas of Newton village itself and Dander Hall. So big parish, really diverse. So people who've been there a long time, settled community village and then all 4,000 new houses. That is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You talked about starting some new roles about four years ago, was it? I think you said. So, I mean, where do you start? It's a really good question. Where do you start? So when we first um, were employed, we're both employed part time. So we had two days a week um, each. And um, we started in the September before lockdown. So um, it was difficult on, on lots of levels because obviously we just started. We were just kind of there having a look at the area. We used to walk around and, and prayer walk together around the around the community that was there at the time, just taking it all in, just looking at it. Because although we both lived in the area, we didn't live particularly in, in that mining village that, that we'd been placed in. So even though we had some knowledge of it, it was still completely different to us so and completely new. So it was interesting to just take time and walk around it um, and see what the community was like, see who was out and about at different times and see what was happening. So we began by doing that. Um, and then lockdown hit. Instead of 
being kind of quite despondent by that, we saw that as a huge opportunity. So for us, it was uh, it was actually, it's a hard thing to say in some ways, but in a blessing in some ways for us, because what we did then was we took the time we didn't we didn't stop working over lockdown. We didn't take furlough or anything. Um, we were offered it, but we didn't we didn't take it. And we decided that we'd still had a place to, to be in the community. It was still valuable for us to be there. So we spent our first six to nine months there um, just outside, outside the church hall, uh, which is where we were based. Um, we have a small church, an old, old church building about a mile down the road from the actual church hall, uh, surrounded by the, uh, the cemetery. Um, but we knew that the presbytery plan was eventually to close that church and that we anything that we did as a worshipping community would then be based at the church hall. So for us, it was really important to base ourselves at the church hall and not where things were stopping, but where things were going to be beginning. Um, so we, we based ourselves at the church hall and we just took the chance to be out and about tidying up the garden, painting the door, painting the railings, just doing all sorts of odd jobs to make the place look and feel a bit more welcoming than it had done. It had been left to kind of not be run down, but it just nobody had really loved and cared for it. So we decided that would be our starting point. Um, if you can imagine the church hall had barbed wire on the top of it, it had a a padlock on the gate. It had a a message on the wall saying um, no ball games. Although it had a huge garden at the side of it, um, it had anti-climb paint stickers everywhere. I mean, there was nothing more welcoming, really, than saying "Don't bother coming here." <laughs> um, so one of our first jobs was to remove all of that um, and and make the place a bit more uh, welcoming. Our idea was to open up a community cafe originally, but when that wasn't possible because of lockdown, then what we did was they took the cafe outdoors with us. So we took disposable cups, we took flasks, we took instant tea and coffee, etc., out with us. So everybody that stopped by and we had a chat with, we were able to offer them a cup of coffee, a biscuit, whatever it was, as they passed by. So it gave us a huge opportunity that we may never have had to meet people on the street and to just chit chat with them. Can I also say while we were doing that, um, the, the local community council um, were in a situation where they, they had been offered money from the council to um, for their resilience group, for a, a resilience set up in, in Dander Hall and the, the local communities. And uh, we, or I had, um, inveigled myself into the community council by this time um, they were looking for somewhere that they could they could operate from as a resilience group and locally all of the community buildings had been demolished because the council were going to be building a new school because of covid and the lockdown the school hadn't been finished and opened there was no community buildings anywhere in the existing communities um, except for the church hall so we were able to then offer um, the community council the opportunity of having a food bank in our church hall, um, which we also had the opportunity to run <laughs> um, because there was nobody else in the community that was available, um, had cars, 
could run around, do deliveries to housebound people um, and could go and get all the shopping. And we had that opportunity of um, we were really blessed. We were able to go into people's houses um, to do, literally to deliver their food. So we made contacts with people by serving them in that way and serving the community council where they wanted to do the job but couldn't and didn't have the facilities. We used the facilities that God had given us to, to store food, to sort bags out, to pack food parcels and to go delivering them to, to um, young parents that had got children that they, so they couldn't go out because the children had got special needs, um, older people who'd got medical issues and um, we were just there for that we set up a, a library outside the church hall in a, an old bookcase because the children couldn't go to the library and some of the children in Dander Hall um, don't have access to lots of books lots of reading books and things whereas we had lots of books yeah <laughs> lots of books and DVDs that people had given us so we put them outside and let children just come and take what they wanted to um, which was an absolute amazing blessing, which has actually continued right the way through where people now come to the church and use the library because it's got better books in, I think, than the, than they all, the, they than all, the council. Yeah, they do. They, we also find that we come to the church hall and there's there's bags of things outside the church hall now that people have come and said, oh, we saw you were doing this or we saw you were doing that. There's a toy library and there was a, a book library, as Erica said, and so we've brought you some more things to add to it. <laughs> so um, we do get inundated sometimes um, and actually have to get to the stage of going no more. But um, it's it's fantastic because actually just by starting something like that, people responded and they responded really well. And it gave us an opportunity to talk to them. Um, and there are opportunities we would never have had in lockdown if we'd literally gone on furlough or we had sat in the office and and been our however four meters apart mm. and done whatever we needed to do um these things would the opportunities would never have come we wouldn't have been blessed with that chance to do that so for us the beginning was was different to what we expected um and we were building up our own relationship as well because we didn't know each other we'd both been put into this role um and had never met each other before um but that gave us an opportunity to build our relationship while building relationships with the community. You said you didn't look at what was not happening or the church that was going to be closing, the church building that was going to be closing, but you looked to what was growing. And just listening to you there, what I'm hearing is like you took this thing that was unlovable or unloved and you've, you've turned it into the heart of the community. And it just yes. sounds as though it's such a place of people, of love that people can receive and give. And I'm also wondering, you know, in terms of thinking about that church building too, has that now closed? Do the church come into the church hall? And, you know, what's the relationship there too? Yeah, the church has, we, we closed the church in January. The, the presbytery plan has been, had been challenged. And so the plans we had to, to, um, make a big celebration uh, and commemoration of the church were kind of put on a back burner as far as the presbytery were concerned. Um, and because of that, the community were up in arms. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know whether they were going to have funerals, whether they were going to have weddings there. Or what. So we just took the, took the 
the decision to make a day um, where we would actually shut it formally. We would say, like, there's no more church services of worship in this building. The church worship now has been moved to the church hall. And we've actually got more people coming to the church, church hall. We're only meeting in the small hall, but we have actually got more people attending worship services now than we had pre-COVID. When we first started at the in the church, in the, working for the Church of Scotland, there was um, an average of eight people going to church on a Sunday morning. Um, some of those people that were there now have either passed on um, because they were quite elderly or they have become more housebound um, or have taken that option not to come back to church as it as it happens at the moment. Um, but we've now got we've gone from eight to an average of about 25, between 25 and 30 on a Sunday morning. And nearly including ourselves, nearly half of the congregation or more mm -hmm. than half the congregation um, that come now are not church members there weren't church members in the church of scotland and they weren't church members in in the parish so these are new people that have come in to the church that hadn't been around in the first place and we're really blessed by that mm. but the church hall is so well used and people in the community um have said exactly what you said that it's it looks like it's loved it looks like somebody cares about it now because it, it's got new curtains, it's been painted, the halls are looking nice, we've had new toilets um, sorted out, we've done fundraising for them, we've gone for grants and, and things to have the roof fixed so that it's not leaking anymore, we've had the kitchen replaced so that we could use it for the cafe, um, and other people that use the hall come in and say how much it's loved and how much it's, and it is actually become part of the heart of the community. Everybody, it's, it's used seven days a week by all sorts of groups, um, and even on a Sunday morning when we're still having our time of worship, when we're just packing up, ready to go home, the karate group are coming in and saying hello to us all as they come past and we're all having a chat in the in the lobby and so on. So it's really, it has become just almost like a normal place to go. Yeah. Instead of it being something that you'd only go to once, once a fortnight or for a wedding or a funeral, now it's just, well... Yeah, it's in the church hall. There's, it, people just go to the church hall. They drop in at all sorts of times. Um, can we use the toilet? Could I change my child's nappy? Oh, by the way, I've got a bag of clothes for Ukraine. Can you pop them down to the, you know, all sorts of things that they come in for. And it's almost like they own it. The community have begun to own, take ownership of it, which in a lot of ways has made it so much easier to talk to them about Jesus because... They want to know why we've done it. Why have we done this? Why have we spent this money? Why have we, um, why have we made the hub of the community in the church hall when actually there's a new school up the road with a cafe in it and all the rest? Um, well, this is because this is where Jesus is. This is the heart of the community. It's their beating heart. It's the lighthouse, and that's what we we. So when we first started praying in the church hall, we asked that God would help us to be a, a beacon of light shining out that would draw the moths draw the moths into into the church hall draw people towards it so that we could have the opportunity that's not to say that we don't go out of the church hall we're not we're not sitting in the church hall waiting for people to come to us we're very we're very obviously not doing that we are we are very much going into the community um we we go out we still go out into the villages we still take pop-up cafe into into the other parts of the community we still go walk about um and we go out to meet people where they are. But 
we've got this lovely hub that they they actually are gravitating to because they feel they feel safe somebody came in and said i walk into this place and i can feel the love of god and to us that is that is exactly what we wanted it to be where we're not saying that god dwells in a house or in a building or in a hall but he dwells in the hearts of the people that are in that place and it's imbibed with prayer already so prayer is filling the rooms in that in the hall and yeah we we hope that through the messages on the wall through the prayers that we we do we have a prayer meeting on a wednesday morning at half past eight and we we pray at that, that the light will continue to shine out and that, that god will allow people to see this beacon of light that will guide them safely and keep them safe and show them his love so beautiful and what about the leadership um of the project of the church uh, what, what, what's in the plan for the presbytery plan for for this particular situation or are you involved in a grouping um, yes yeah, so what's happening now is that we have gone into union with a church in Dalkeith um which is a bigger much much bigger um thriving community um a very um busy church with lots going on and the the minister from there is the overriding minister for Dander Hall and the Newton Parish as well. Um, and we have an OLM as well. Um, ordained local so, minister. Yeah. Ordained local minister who's part-time and we have our, our full minister as well. So they are wholly behind us um, in everything we do. We, we have amazing support from them both. Um, our, our OLM is in our cafe with us every Tuesday meeting and greeting people he's running the services alongside Erica and I on a Sunday morning um, and it's and it's lovely that we've got their support because they've really given us the autonomy to do whatever we want to do and we have monthly meetings with them to just feedback what's happening things that have worked things that haven't worked positive stories that have been happening as well as any kind of just the kind of norm of we need to think about funding for this or we need to think are there any other grants we can access for that etc etc because you know obviously without the funding there a lot of what we do isn't possible so the the fresh expression side of what Erica and I do in the hall is supported by presbytery and while the church was to close the church hall is very much part of their presbytery plan we're fortunate enough to be able to continue in in the work that we're doing uh, with the backing of presbytery and the back of our, our current ministers as well. That's great. So your your positions, your roles are included in the plan for this particular area. Yes. Great. One of the things that you that I'm that I just love about what you're saying is that you were working on this building and you were showing care and love and attention to it, which obviously gives a message and, and can yeah. give a message about how we might be with people and you know th there's lots of things in there but yeah. actually what what was catching my attention was that there you are and you have been at the building and you've been working and weeding and painting and almost putting in that kind of hard graft but then also with the relationships but then you just said that you're you're part of a three-way team with the OLM where you're leading worship. So you two as well have invested into the relationships of the people in the community 
with such attention and care and detail and love and now you're leading them in worship. So I was just wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because from what I've gathering, you're not ordained ministers of word and sacrament. You're leading worship with people that you have, you're living with, you're discipling, you're loving, you're serving. I mean, I think that's amazing. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's really exciting. We, we, when we first came on board in this role, we, we did the pioneer course um, at New College in Edinburgh. That was amazing. Um, that really did give us an awful lot of kind of thought tips, kind of things to be pondering, um, kind of ways that we might be able to be involved. We just didn't know what it was going to be like or what, what role we could have without being ordained ministers. And actually, very quickly, we discovered that there was nothing to stop us doing quite a lot of what we wanted to do. I mean, we obviously, we needed an ordained minister to do the sacraments. We needed... Uh, you know, so we couldn't do communion, we couldn't do weddings, we couldn't do uh, baptisms, but we could do everything else. So um, we we took that on board and ran with it. And Erica, even more so than me, so I get involved in doing prayers and uh, welcoming people with the teas and the coffees and and being around to support and talk about what we're doing in the parish. Erica's taken that another whole step forward and she's she's really involved with the with the sermons and and helping with that as well so I'm going to let her explain a little bit about her role there. Yeah I've always been quite talkative let's say um I've always been quite happy to <laughs> to put my tuppence with him and um we, when we first started Andrew was a one-man band as the as the ordained local minister he hadn't really thought about inviting other people to be involved because he'd had such bad experiences in the past um where nobody wanted to to help and um we said to him quite early on would you like us to help would you like us to do the prayers would you like us to to take part in the services and i i have in the past done youth youth services and and some basically christian talks god slots things like that um and so andrew was quite happy to allow us to to or to invite us to come and do the the prayers get involved in doing that and then decided that he might as well give it a shot and he let me loose with the sermons so i've i've delivered a, a number of church services um some mostly when he's not been there to be fair so he doesn't even know how bad i am but um, <laughs> or how good or how good but we haven't we haven't lost anybody no. I mean people people kept coming to the services even the old people so I guess it can't have been too bad and I've also been privileged to take some of the funerals in the parish as well some of the people who we as I said we had an old elderly congregation and I've been privileged now to be able to take some of their funerals um, which is it's a real blessing because you because I'm able to go into people's homes and share with that heartbreak that they're experiencing and to get alongside them and some of these people because we've we haven't been there very long and a lot of the older people they were church members but they've maybe been in a home or in hospital for a time so I've never met them but it's been it's been a real privilege to be able to serve those families uh, by doing that as well. We've done few services. Yeah. We've done some of our own fresh expressions type services where we've had singles, garden afternoon services on Sunday, more family oriented, forged a connection with the local primary school and um, gone in there now. So we've had three opportunities now to go in and do weeks of, of work with them on each 
occasion and we've covered the whole school now. Uh, we're about to go in and do the last three classes in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but that's given us other opportunities to talk to children about church and what we do and it's amazing. Yeah, so we're we're really lucky. Fantastic. And and are there any other leaders emerging or from the people you've been working alongside and have come in and got involved? How are you encouraging them to, to grow in the faith and to, to step up? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because um, at the beginning, obviously, we came into a community where we didn't know anybody and they didn't know us. So building those relationships over the first couple of years has been so important. Um, and now we're at a stage where we have um, a, a team of people working with us in the in the cafe, whether they're baking, whether they're serving, whether they're in the kitchen washing dishes, or whether they're out chatting to people, we've managed to build up a team of about eight or nine people now that come and help on a regular basis. So we can actually step back a little bit from the cafe, which gives us time to to actually sit and talk to people um, who need talk to, which was lovely. And they're they're running the cafe now on a voluntary basis, um, and it's it's just absolutely super. Everybody's um, really come on board which gives us a lovely opportunity to talk to people that really need somebody to, to talk to, to confide in. To, and what we're finding now is because we're going around talking to everybody, there's actually people in the cafe saying, oh, oh, um, could, I, could you just pray for me about this or about that? People that have never, ever set foot in the church, people that have never come to the church, people that we were actually serving as part of the work Erica was talking about when we ran the food bank in lockdown, who've actually come and shared their story with us now and said, you know, it was such a blessing to have you there. It was it was amazing. You were there when nobody else was. And now I just want you to know that actually I do have a faith. Um, but I've never spoken to anybody about my faith before. And I was just wondering if you had a Bible that I could read to my children or read to my grandchildren. So we were actually able to give one lady in particular a book that she could take home of children's Bible stories that she could read to her grandchildren when they came around to see her because something had touched her. We understand what that was, but she didn't, you know. Can I just add in there, uh, as well as the, the people that come in and volunteer in the cafe, um, the, there's two in particular, people who have come along to the church since we've started, who who are volunteering in the cafe, but had both of them had not had. Uh, one of them had had a really bad experience of church, and the other one hadn't really been involved in church before. Um, and now both of those are every Sunday, every worship service. Mm. Uh, they're coming along and they're involved in in taking part. In the worship service and they're starting that one of the, the ladies her partner um has volunteered to to get involved in saying the prayers so, which is a big step because they've not been involved in church before and they've now getting to that point where they're wanting to actually get involved um, and some of the other people that have started coming to the church services have have started to get involved in saying in doing the prayers and um, one one guy in particular is a, a retired minister so he's got a head start anyway but he's a retired Methodist minister but he's he feels so really at home in the church now and is starting to taking part in the church services as well so we've got this kind of small discipleship almost going of of these people who 
hadn't really, as well as volunteering in the cafe and now sort of going beyond just helping in the cafe and are part of the worshipping community in the church as well. Absolutely brilliant. It's small. It's still small. We still haven't sort of yeah. reached double numbers yet, but we're getting there. You know, we're, yeah. it's a, it's an on, ongoing situation. It's and, all about um, relationships, isn't it? It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And it's about not pushing people, you know, pushing them far enough, but not pushing them so far that they feel you only want them there because you want them to do work for you. You know, or that we feel we're pulling them into a cult. Yeah. yeah. Which <laughs> we needed to be so Grace careful. Grace-based, yeah. You know, from what I understand, you you listened, you were praying, you emerged out of that. And I just wondered, are there some things that just didn't work out? One of the things that everybody expected us to do when we first started was to do something with young people. There's a lot of young people, that, and with the leisure centre and the library having been demolished already and the school hub not having been open, um, there really wasn't anything I mean, I, everybody says there's never anything for the young people. Actually, there's always loads of things. But um, in this particular case, there wasn't because they demolished the leisure centre that had all the, the activities in it. They demolished the library, which used to have the Lego club and all these sorts of things. Um, and we thought, well, you know, we'll, get, we'll do that. We'll start. Um, we'll, we'll see what we can do with starting a, a youth group. With it just being Sue and I, we, we managed to, to bring along um, a trainee youth worker as well. Um, and and a volunteer um, to help mm-hmm. us, but the the nature of the some of the young people that were coming was such that you needed a much bigger team, a much bigger team, and a much more experienced youth worker, and a much more experienced um, volunteer that could help with some of the issues, let's say, that rose from having some of these young people. Now we 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 successfully ran um, a week long. Um, sort of hol- or a holiday club type thing. Uh, it wasn't actually a holiday club. It was outside because it was after COVID. We were allowed to bring them into the garden, but we weren't allowed to take them in the hall. The downside of, of that was that because you were outside in the garden, everybody could see you. So the other, the older young people could see you and they wanted to be involved as well. And they weren't really appropriate for the, <laughs> for the nature of what we were trying to do. Their age wasn't, they, they weren't age appropriate. And they certainly weren't language and behaviour appropriate for the the younger children that we had coming along to do that. And we managed we managed it, but it was really difficult. And it, afterwards, we we sort of regrouped. We thought about it and thought we we're not ready for that yet. That's not what we're called for at the moment. It's I have no doubt it's in the future because there's a lot of potential there to reach out. And we have been building bridges and building relationships with the children in the primary school. Um, which has blessed us and blessed them yeah. um, because we can now meet those children on the street and they meet us, they come up and speak to us, they come into the hall and talk to us. Um, they're all full of how they've enjoyed doing Christingle, the Easter workshop, um, I can't remember what school else we've done, school crafts and things that we've done. Yeah. But they're not, we're not at that stage yet where we can rethink um, a youth, some sort of youth work. We're just, we're not there yet. Um it's it's something that's going to be a, a, a long term, I think. Mm. Um, but I think the lesson is not we we weren't we weren't ready for it. We wanted to try it and see, um, but we're quite happy to stand step back and go. Well, that's for another time. It's, we're not there yet. We can't do everything. We can't run before we can walk. We need a bigger team. We need people that have got more experience with well 
extra people have got more experience because both of us have worked with young people and children before um but we haven't we need the the other younger people to come forward the, the youth workers and the the volunteers that have got that experience that can um that can watch what's going on i think that's one of the problems is that when you you know anybody that's working with young people knows you've got to have eyes in the back of your head and if you've got inexperienced youth workers um and volunteers they tend not to look around to see what's going to be happening next, whereas we knew, we know that there's going to be things happening next that you've got to be aware of before it happens and before the danger um, the danger erupts into something. So that's something that that we've stepped back from um, for the time being. Um, yeah, the other thing I can think of that we tried and we've, we've stepped back from is we tried a, a, a monthly afternoon service um, that was going to be more messy church, forest church, outdoor church type of thing. Um, and we ended up with probably about five people roughly coming on a regular basis to that. But it didn't really bear the fruit that we hoped it would. And it didn't really seem to be bringing in the families as we thought it would either. So we did that for, for quite a few months. And then again, just took stock and thought, is this really where we're meant to be at the moment? Is this really what we're supposed to be focusing on? And we did a lot of prayer and we did a lot of discussion with ourselves, with our minister team, um, and actually decided, no, this maybe probably wasn't the right thing to be focusing on right now. And actually building the church services in the church again, building the um, building the community still, getting to know the families through working in the schools, etc., was probably the way that God was leading us and not just jumping in because it was expected of us to do a service for families and actually say, no, we, we, we're not doing that at the moment. We don't have a big enough team and we don't have the interest from the community right now. And it's not to say it won't happen in the future, but right now it just wasn't the right thing for us to do. It's it's lovely to hear your story and it's, it's good for our listeners to hear the things that, that didn't work because that's often the case. But but yeah. you've persevered and you've you've listened and you've learned, well, what is it that God is wanting you to do? What's the Kairos moment? What's the opportunity, timely moment, the, the, the yeah. moments that you've got, which is is fantastic. As we conclude, um, what, what, what question, any, anything else that you've got to ask Ruth? I'm not sure if it's much of a question. Um, I think what I heard so much from you was this whole approach of hope. And it just seems to be that's an, an attitude and a culture that you are, whether aware of it, intentionally growing. But it certainly it seems to be growing this whole approach of hope. And if we think about the Emmaus journey, there was an emerging approach of hope within that as well. And I do like that you touched on the fact that you still kind of gently held uh, folks as that church building was being closed, but they also had something new to look at um, that was already growing new life. I just thought that was a really sensible but um, spirit-filled and spirit-led approach just to, to manage both together because that, that can be quite hard and I'm just wondering of comments from listeners as well and if you know hearing your story from the first time it's you kind of think what a lot that has happened in these years but really simple and it seems yeah. even listening to you talking about the review of what's happening and, and when to stop it you know, that's a really powerful lesson um, as well just in terms of of listening 
to God and listening to others and in your team uh, to not be afraid to kind of chop and change. I suppose if it was a sailing analogy, you would be tacking about, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> is that intentional just with the that kind of approach to hope? Yeah, I think it is. I think we I think we we definitely spend time in our prayer time every week just thanking God for the opportunities that we've had and and looking for the further ones that might be coming. And just, you know, looking at the community of people that we've built, focusing on them as well as, you know, it's it's, it's very easy to keep going out and searching for new things and start something new. We've done this for a couple of years, let's do something new. But actually just focusing on what we're doing right now, building up the people within that, giving them the, the purpose, the hope, the future, knowing that they're loved and they're cared for by somebody makes all the difference. And I think if that's if that's what we can do for people, then that's the way that, that we'll carry on doing that and, and building those relationships so that we build trust in the people that come to us and come through our doors. As, as we heard from, from other situations, it's not rocket science, you know, learning to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. When when you're expressing the love of Christ and the way that you're expressing it, you're finding identified needs, you know, perceived needs, and you're helping and encouraging others to get involved in, in meeting these needs. People are intrigued. People people love to get involved in a, in a caring cause. It, it makes us feel more human. And then you're able to, to help people take those steps closer to Jesus as you love them gently, 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 uh, care for them. And, 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 and as they become more intrigued, they, they find this community they're a part of and they want to find out more about the, the source of it all. You know, the, you know, there's the cause, the the community and, and Christ movement. And it's, it's tremendous to hear. Now, I'm going to hand over to Steve, and Steve's going to just wind things up for us. Yeah, thanks so much, Sue and Eric. I mean, that's been so good just to hear that that journey as a whole, but then also just to get some little glimpses of some of the kinds of journeys that individuals within those communities are, are, are being taken on and the sense of, of God at work. So thank you so much. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be really um, encouraged and interested by that. And... I guess to finish up, I would just encourage our listeners. Hey, thanks thanks for listening. And uh, we'd love to hear from you about um, your, your response to what you've just heard, but also some of the things you'd like to hear. Who, who would you like to eavesdrop on the conversation within this uh, podcast? So, so thanks to all of you. Um, and we look forward to you tuning in again. Cheerio for now. In your neighbourhood trudge two dumped Jesus friends, drowning before dawning, moving through a maze of misery to an amazing Emmaus encounter. Emerging Emmaus. Good grief, our dream is dead. Going home instead, comfort of my bed. Good grief, the pain, hope hard to sustain, love down the drain. Good grief, where have you been? What we've seen? Blown to smithereens. Good grief, how our hearts burned, our minds turned, or all we learned. Good grief, don't go away. Come in to stay. You've shown the way. Good grief, how he broke the bread with hands that bled, then disappeared. Good grief, Jesus alive. No need to strive. 
hands to thrive. Jesus, alive. Good grief, no time to waste. Now we have a taste to Jerusalem with haste. Emerging Emmaus, a well-kent lament echoes through the years. How long, how long? Good as is the grieving process, may it be a means to access visions and dreams of Christ's kingdom come. Emmaus, emerge from the gloom. Come, Holy Spirit, come. So for future podcasts, join us via the Sanctuary First website, Facebook page and app, and also via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Come on, tune in.